Nehemiah chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. So we built the wall, and the entire wall was joined together up to half its height. For the people had a mind to work. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. Nevertheless, we made our prayer to our God. And because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. Then Judah said, the strength of the laborers is failing. And there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews who dwelt near them came that they told us ten times, from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And I set the people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction, while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor, and the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that with one hand they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had his sword girded at his side as he built. And the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. If you're a father or a grandfather, then you have a commonality with Nehemiah. You carry a burden. Nehemiah spent his eight to fives in the royal court. He was the king's cupbearer. But when the whistle blew and his work was done, Nehemiah headed home to bear a different kind of concern. Nehemiah was burdened for the children, the children of Israel. Nehemiah was in Shushan, the winter residence of the Persian emperor, when news arrived of trouble in Jerusalem. The walls were rubble. The gates had been charred and burned. The city was in shambles. And the inhabitants of the city were vulnerable to danger. And it became Nehemiah's driving passion to re-erect those ravaged walls. 
And if you are a dad or a granddad, you too are saddled with a similar concern that's perpetually on your mind. When you punch the clock at the end of a day's business and head home, you too are burdened for the children. Not the children of Israel, but for your own children. For like Nehemiah, we as fathers see that the walls that once protected our kids have now crumbled. Where is the moral base today? Where are the transcendent values, the divine truths that provide our kids the boundaries and guidelines they so desperately need? The walls of morality and truth are in rubble. And it is every father's burden to rebuild them. If you're a father, you have a lot in common with this man, Nehemiah. Understand, in ancient times, a city's walls were extremely vital. First, walls reflected a city's prosperity. The wealthier the city, the taller and thicker and more ornate the walls. One look at the walls revealed a city's status. Second, walls provided a city with power. They shielded the people from the enemy's onslaughts. The stronger the walls, the stronger its citizens' resolve. Third, walls determined a city's protection. They kept out wild animals and sinister people that might want to disturb the peace and cause people harm. And fourth, walls expanded a city's perspective. From the tops of the walls, the lookouts could see further and could see clearer. It was a necessary vantage point. Of course, modern cities no longer have literal walls. Today, though, the importance is on a different type of wall. Walls of truth and values, of morality and spirituality. These are the walls that today provide a society with prosperity and power, and protection, and perspective. When a society acknowledges God's truth and is governed by transcendent values, people's lives have meaning. They become productive and prosperous people. A moral and a spiritual people become a stronger people. Saying no to temptation and saying yes to God cultivates a personal power and resolve. And a society based on divine truth affords people protection. God has erected loving walls, more to keep dangers out than to hem us in. His truth is a safe haven for us. And a people who promote God's truth gain an eternal perspective. From the top of the wall, we can see beyond the immediate to what's eternal, to what God has on the horizon. You see, when Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, he took a nighttime stroll about the city. He toured the dilapidated walls, and the situation was every bit as grim as he had heard. In chapter 2, verse 17, he tells the leaders of the Jews, You see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lies in waste. And today, when I examine our society, I reach the same conclusion. We are in dire distress. Morally, we are in ruins. Spiritually, we are a wasteland. Walls that once protected us and elevated our stature are now in rubble. 
Why is it hard for us to understand why a teenager can walk into the school with a loaded gun and start blowing the place up? There are no more walls. We've never given that teenager a reason why one human whim is any more right or wrong than another. Society's conscience doesn't blink when an unborn baby is murdered. So why is it wrong to kill them after they've been around for a few years? If there's no ultimate truth, what's the point anyway? Life is just a cruel joke. A society that kicks the Bible and prayer and absolute truth out of its schools tears down walls that are irreplaceable. Kids grow up confused and chaotic. People lack principle, and they become vulnerable to every hideous evil the devil can throw at them. See, as a dad and as a grandpa now, here's my starting point. I envision my 11 treasured grandchildren surrounded by rabid pit bulls, at least a dozen of them licking their chops, frothing at the mouth, closing in on my kiddos like they were a pound of ground round. And that is no exaggeration. That is the spiritual environment in which our kids are growing up today. As fathers, we need to build walls and we need to build them fast. Social commentator Jack Kramer, he tells about the night he got stranded in rough and tumble South Central L.A. Jack was late for a flight and he couldn't find a taxi and so he decided to take a chance. Well, three local teenagers were standing there by their car. Jack asked them how much it would cost him to get a ride to the airport. The driver said 10 bucks. Jack offered them a 20 and jumped in with the three men. Well, obviously, Jack Kramer was nervous. These guys could rip him off, take his suitcase, or worse. Jack grew more antsy and uneasy when they reached the freeway and they turned east. He thought for sure the airport was west. Finally, Jack sighed. I hope you guys are going to take care of me. One of the men laughed. It's okay, man. We're good guys. Jack hoped he was right. All of the social issues Jack Kramer was fond of writing about were suddenly right there in the same car sitting with him. Well, before long, Jack asked, Are there gangs at your school? Oh, there's gangs everywhere, man. It's crazy. He said, Are you guys in a gang? Oh, no way, man. Why not? Because there's no hope in it, man. You just get a bullet in your head, man. Hey, but what hope is there for you guys outside the gang? I don't know, man. I just want a future. Do something. What's the difference between you guys and the gangs? I don't know, man. I don't know. We're just lucky, I guess. Well, Jack thought for a minute. And then he asked, he said, what about fathers? Do you guys have a father at home? The kid in the back seat said, yeah, I do. The other two kids said, yeah, I got a dad. Jack probed further. Well, is your father living with you? All three men answered, yeah. Well, Jack followed a hunch. He asked, do the guys in the gangs have a dad living with them? Oh, no way, man. None of them do. Well, does dad make a difference? Absolutely. He's always behind you, man, pushing you, man, keeping you in line, telling you what's what. Well, I'll let Jack conclude his account of his ride 
to LAX. He writes, I was taken right where I needed to go. The driver even asked what terminal I wanted. On time without a hitch. And the men to whom I am most grateful are the men I never met. It was their fathers who got me to the airport. It was their fathers who kept me safe. And here is my point today. It is a father's job to build moral and spiritual walls around his children. And when it comes to building walls, no one was better at it than Nehemiah. He was the Bible's great wall builder. I want all dads today to notice four facets of Nehemiah's wall building that I believe apply to us as fathers. First, his priority was imperial. His presence was imperative. Third, his plan was ingenious. He built, he battled, and he bugled. And finally, his persistence was important. His priority was imperial, his presence was imperative, his plan was ingenious, and his persistence was important. Dad, if you care about your kids and your grandkids, and you care about their future, you'll build walls, and you'll start today. Well, first, I want you to notice that Nehemiah's priority was imperial. In other words, it came from the king. Nehemiah's return to Jerusalem and the construction of the walls was commanded by a royal decree from the Persian emperor Artaxerxes. And dad, no less than the king of the universe, has sanctioned you to be involved in the lives of your kids and grandkids and to build moral and spiritual walls in their lives. A dad has divine authorization to teach his kids biblical truth. That means to set limits and to draw boundaries and to erect standards. Parenting your child is your God-given decree. There are actually very few pursuits in my life that I can say are sanctioned by God. I don't have a divine mandate to work in my front yard or to play golf, sadly or to piddle around on my computer, or to tinker on my car. I have never, ever heard a voice from heaven say, Thus saith the Lord, Sandy, watch sports on television. Never. But I know with all my heart that I have been called by God to build spiritual and moral walls around my kids. You see, Nehemiah, he tackled this job because his priority was imperial. Well, second, I want you to notice that Nehemiah's presence was imperative. It is hard to build walls in Jerusalem while you're hanging out on the other side of the world in Shushan. Nehemiah had to be on site to construct walls. You see, being a good dad involves many elements. But the first step, the indispensable step, is to simply be there. A dad's presence in the life of his kids is imperative. You know, some dads act like kids come with a pause button. That they can push pause on their child's development while they go off to do their own thing or decide to grow up. They're under the illusion that the opportunities will still be there when they get ready. 
Dad, if that's you, you're in for a rude awakening. By the time you're ready, your kid may no longer care. Author Wade Horn writes this about his dad. He says, my father was a great dad. I didn't always think so, of course. When I was growing up, I thought of him as an overbearing autocratic stick in the mud whose main mission in life was to make mine miserable. But I have since come to realize he had one great quality. He was there. Someone once said 90% of life was just showing up. My dad showed up. I tell my kids all the time that if they turn out bad, it's going to be because they spent too much time with me. Years ago, I ran across an interesting list. It's the top 10 dishes served when mom is away and dad is cooking. Number 10, hot dogs with a hint of Tabasco. Number 9, kids eat free night at the steakhouse. It's always a good choice. Number 8, pizza. Number 7, broiled bologna benedict on rye. Number 6, back of the fridge goulash with lots of pepper. Number 5, chips and salsa. Number four, Cocoa Puffs. Done that. Number three, something old, something blue, something frozen. Call it stew. Number two, cold pizza. And number one, whatever is cooking at grandma's. (laughs) But at least the old boy's there, and at least he's trying. Understand what the statistics say are likely to happen if dad is not there. In the house with his kids. 63% of youth suicides are committed by kids from fatherless homes. 90% of runaways. 80% of rapists. 71% of high school dropouts. 75% of kids on drugs or alcohol. And 85% of our youth in prison. All come from homes without a father. There is a Chinese proverb that says... A broken nest seldom produces whole eggs. It is the involvement of a dad that increases a child's chances of success. No other factor equals it. Dad, if you want to build walls, you got to be there. Well, Nehemiah's priority was imperial and his presence was imperative. And third, his plan was ingenious. For it involved three tactics. He built, he battled, and he bugled. First, Nehemiah went to work building the walls. He rolled up his shirt sleeves and he got at it. He went to work. Verse 6 tells us the people had a mind to work. And this needs to be every father's mentality. You've got to work at being a good dad and an example to your kids. When it comes to building walls, guys, this is where it's just not going to come to you. You got to go get it. You got to make it happen. You got to read your Bible with your kids and pray with them and talk about life together and solve problems with one another. Always be on the lookout for that teachable moment when you can draw on a real life situation to teach a spiritual truth. This is what hammers the truth home into your kids' hearts. The kid on the baseball team who throws a temper tantrum 
or acts cocky. This is your opportunity to talk to your child about why a good attitude is important. Rejection from a friend your child once trusted becomes the springboard for a lesson on why our security needs to be in God and not in other people. Nervousness before a test is fertile ground to teach the power of prayer and the reliance on the Holy Spirit, as well as the importance of studying every once in a while. See, these are all opportunities for you to teach. A wise dad who looks out for his kids knows that school is always open. Class is always in session. All of life becomes a lesson. He is always looking for those opportunities to teach. Too many kids today feel as if their life has no value. They lack the desire and the drive to excel. See, a dad builds walls by affirming his child's efforts. You know, kids at every age live for their father's approval. All the world may be a fan, but every kid needs to know dad is in his corner. Reminds me of the basketball great Michael Jordan. While his dad James was alive, Michael wanted him in the stands whenever he played basketball. Once a reporter asked Michael why his dad's presence at his games was so important, Michael Jordan replied, When dad is there, I know I have at least one fan. That's amazing to me. 25,000 cheering fans can't provide as much motivation as a single dad. Your child might have many fans, but there is no substitute for their dad. Who can forget the story of Derek Redmond, a British track star who ran the 400 meters in the 92 Olympics? Derek cruised to an early lead. It looked that he would coast to victory until suddenly he pulled up in pain. He had torn his Achilles tendon. He collapsed in the last 50 yards. But that's when a marvelous thing happened. Derek's dad jumped out of the stands and ran onto the track. He grabbed his son by the arm and he helped Derek cross the finish line. Obviously, Derek Redmond didn't win, but he did finish the race, accomplishing a lifelong goal. And it was thanks to his dad. Dads encourage their kids to finish and not give up. They pull for their kids. They tell them they can do it. And they let them know it's okay when they don't. Dads build character in their kids. And they offer them encouragement. But building isn't the only task necessary to erect moral and spiritual walls. For it also requires some battling. See, walls include standards of behavior. And the demand for honesty and curfews and dating guidelines and academic expectations and the reason behind your rules. See, the world is full of choices and your kids need to be allowed to make some choices, certainly. But they also need parameters. They need limits to the choices that they can make. See, without limits, life becomes deadly. Establishing appropriate limits while cultivating the tools to make good choices is the demanding and the never-ending job of being a dad. Nehemiah knew that a city without walls was susceptible to a long parade of danger. His enemies tried to thwart his efforts. To erect walls, he had to battle and build. 
Notice all that Nehemiah does here in chapter 4. In verse 9, he sets a watch. In verse 13, he arms his workers. In verse 17, they hold a sword in one hand and a shovel in the other hand. And that's what it takes to grow healthy kids. A sword and a shovel. You need to do some building and some battling. Notice verse 14, how Nehemiah instructs the people of Jerusalem. He sounds like a football coach firing up his team. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Guys, in the world that we live in today, dads also have to fight for their sons and their daughters. We have to do battle. Notice especially where Nehemiah stationed the guards. Verse 13. Behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings. And this is strategic. Nehemiah's chief concerns were their foundations and their openings. And these are also where a father needs to focus his attention. On the child's foundation, his or her belief system, and on the openings or their exposures to the outside world. We need to be attentive to what our kid believes and receives. And this is an area where a dad not only has to battle the evil out there, but he probably also has to battle his own kids. For kids want to watch the hip movies and listen to the cool music and tune into the popular TV shows and have unlimited access to the internet, even when they're accessing moral filth and spiritual garbage. Curiosity and peer pressure combine to produce a blindness in our kids. At times, our children just don't see why we say no. Reminds me of the kids who wanted to go to a movie of which their father did not approve. The kids explained, they said, but dad, it only has four curse words, one sex scene, some mild violence, but the special effects are incredible, and the good guy wins in the end. Nevertheless, dad still put his foot down. Later that night, the dad went into the kitchen, and he made some brownies. Well, the aroma wafted through the house, and the kids all came licking their chops. But just before they bit in, Dad told them, guys, I just put a little bit of dog poop in with the brownie mix. It's not a lot. It shouldn't spoil the taste. They're still good brownies. Of course, no one ate the brownies. And Dad was trying to get his kids to see the obvious. If a little bit of dog poop in a brownie makes it inedible, why doesn't a little bit of filth in a movie make it inappropriate to watch? Dad, it's up to you to just say no, to build walls for yourself first, and then for your kids. What you make off limits to your kids, be sure is also off limits to you. Hey, kids, sniff out hypocrisy a mile away. Your child may grow older and buck your standards one day, but when they do, they'll know how far they've fallen. They won't know that if you haven't set the bar and raised the standard. 
And at times, will setting these standards put you at odds with your kids? (laughs) Oh, you bet it will. As one author defines a dad, he is the provider of all and the enemy of all. That's how a dad can feel at times. He loves his kids, and he'll be hated for insisting on what's best for them. Hey, as a dad, I have to remind myself constantly, I am not running for re-election. A father's goal isn't to be the most popular dad on the block. It's to grow healthy and godly kids. Bill Maher hosts the TV show, or used to host the TV show, Politically Incorrect. Trust me, I agree with very few of Bill's political opinions. But he did make one comment about being a father that really resonated with me. Once Bill Maher was asked, Were you and your dad good friends? He replied, Friends? We're friends now, but while growing up, I didn't need him to be my friend, but my dad. This idea of dads getting mushy and being friends is overblown. Dads are supposed to be the guy who tells you right from wrong. Bill just hit the nail on the head. Dad, I know you want to be your child's friend one day, and hopefully that'll come. But while he or she is under your roof, your role is more important than friend. You're their father. My kids had a lot of so-called friends who would tickle their ears and butter them up and tell them what they wanted to hear. But they only had one man in their life who'd put his foot down and tell them the truth. See, at times, a dad's place is in his kid's face. I've heard it put, kids are like stomachs. They don't need everything we can afford to give them. Children don't need to be overindulged. They need to learn self-discipline and how to defer a desire and how to turn from a temptation and how to put principle above convenience. One thing is certain. A child won't develop the strength of character that says no to sin if his mom and dad have lacked the courage to say no to him. A dad can't be afraid of the fight. At times we battle for our kids. At other times we battle with our kids. But if I have learned anything about being a father, it's this. A father has to win the battles. Did I say that? A father has to win the battles. It's been said, kids will forgive your weakness, but cowardice will send them elsewhere for strength. That's why a dad needs to win the battles. Reminds me of the night when my sons and I, we were walking across the football field to my car. My middle son had just finished up his practice. When out of the blue, my oldest son, who was with us, 15 at the time, full of testosterone, he says to me, he says, Dad, why don't you take off your glasses and let's wrestle? I think I can take you. Oh, you think you can take me? I took off my glasses. I handed them to his two stunned brothers who were standing there with their mouths gaping open, you know. I mean, the older sibling had just challenged the status quo. Life as they knew it had just been threatened. Well, it took me about five seconds to have that boy down in the grass in a full Nelson rubbing his nose in the dirt. 
I had put down the chest. I had restored order in the world. The world was right again. Hey, friends, a family is in big trouble when the patients take over the asylum. And dad, you can't let it happen. Your kids are going to wrestle with you, dad, both literally and figuratively. But a godly dad will learn to pin his children in love. You know, it's amazing how our appreciation for our dad changes over the years. At seven years old, we think, well, my dad knows a lot, a whole lot. At 10 years old, well, my father doesn't quite know everything. At 17, oh, dad is so old-fashioned, I know more than him. At 22 years old, oh, dad knows a little bit, but not much. At 30 years old, little patience now. Let's find out what dad thinks. At 50, I wish I could talk this over with my dad. He knew everything. Fathers, be encouraged. As Nehemiah said, fight for your sons and for your daughters. Nehemiah's plan to erect the walls was ingenious. It included building and battling and also bugling. He says to the workers in verse 19, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. In other words, we are so spread out that we could get attacked and no one would know until it's too late. And this is the problem within modern families. We get so spread out. Brother has a ball game and sister has a dance recital, and mom is at a meeting, and dad has to go out of town, and it doesn't take long for family members to grow distant and become unaware of each other's hurts. Dad, erecting walls of prosperity and power and protection and perspective for your kids necessitates you finding ways to keep open lines of communication. you got to work at it. After each broadcast of ABC's World News Tonight, the late Peter Jennings, he used to pick up the telephone. And the reason might surprise you. In an interview, Jennings explained, he said, Sometimes I call the producers to see if they like the show, but just as often I call my children and tell them that I'm on my way home for dinner. I found that interesting. Peter Jennings brought news to the world, but his most important job was trying to find ways to communicate with his kids. Dad, if you value communication, you'll be the one to initiate the effort. I read an article recently about door openers and door slammers. See, you open doors of communication with expressions like, well, what do you think? Or that's a good question. Or, or I'm here when you want to talk. But you slam the door of communication with comments like, that's none of your business, or I'm busy right now, or because I said so. You know, I think the biggest hindrance to communication is our pride. We think, why should I be the first one to take a step? Well, you're the dad, that's why. It's after you embrace some humility and some empathy for the other person, what to say, it's a lot easier. Longtime president of the University of Michigan, Dr. James Engel, 
He explained the secret of his success with young people. He wrote, grow antennae, not horns. And this is the key to being a good dad. Stay sensitive. Often a behavior we see in our kids that we would like to gore is actually just a cry for help. Here's some great advice. Talk to your kids in a way that will make them want to listen and listen to your kids in a way that will make them want to talk. you got to work at it. Well, Nehemiah had a job to do. His priority was imperial. His presence was imperative. His plan was ingenious. And his persistence was important. See, throughout this book, one of the traits that you admire most about Nehemiah is his resistance to distraction. Nehemiah has this uncanny ability to stay focused. His enemy taunts him, but he works. They invite him to pointless meetings, but he refused to come down from the wall, and he works. They accuse him falsely, but he works. He knows there is nothing more vital for him to do than this work on the wall Nehemiah's focus is that of a laser beam. You see, dads can get distracted and lose focus. We can get discouraged far too easily. And why? Well, being a dad is a pretty thankless job. I mean, if a dad is looking for kudos and pats on the back, he'll gravitate more toward work or friends or hobbies than his children and his family. I mean, Dad, when was the last time one of your children thanked you for paying the mortgage on time? Or, hey, Dad, thanks for buying groceries this week. Or, wow, Dad, we really appreciate the health insurance. When have you ever heard such a thing? Oh, I'm sure your little girl will give you a big hug and kiss for making her return the new swimsuit she just bought because it's too skimpy. Or your son is going to brag to his friends about what a great dad he has when you take the car keys away from him after his ticket. Dad, you are fighting for your kids. You're trying to erect strong walls. But often, instead of building walls, we feel like we're beating our head against the wall. We're fighting for our kids, but our kids are fighting against us. Why keep at it? Why stay focused? Logic says that if a kid is determined to walk off a cliff, just let him. But a dad can't do that. For a father has a God-given burden that supersedes all logic. He sees the need for moral and spiritual walls around his kids. And he cannot live with himself if he shirks his responsibility to build them. It's more than a father's job. God burns it into our hearts. Men, your kids need a dad, or perhaps a granddad, with a laser focus. They need a man in his or her life who is just as sure of his calling as was Nehemiah. His priority was imperial, and so is yours, dad. Every dad is commissioned by the king of kings. His presence was imperative. Nobody can take the place of a kid's dad. See, kids spell love, T-I-M-E. And his plan was ingenious. Nehemiah built, he battled, and he bugled, and his plan still works for fathers today. And his persistence was important, as it is for all dads. 
Being a father isn't easy, but it is desperately needed. A father bears a burden. Dad, I hope you'll be about the vital task of building walls around your kids. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We live in desperate times. And Lord, we need to take radical action. Lord, I pray for every dead in this room today. We can't control what goes on in the neighbor's house or the city across town or the neighborhood down the road or the terrible troubles in our country. But we can take care of our family. Lord, we can begin to build walls around our kids and our grandkids. And we can even go beyond. We can get involved in Sunday school. And we can help build walls for the children who attend this church. Lord, we can be about your work in our sphere of influence. Lord, I pray for each man here today who is a father or a grandfather, who aspires to be a father or grandfather. I pray you'll give us courage. You'll give us strength, Lord, that you'll refocus our attention as to where it needs to be. Lord, our kids desperately need it. Our wives desperately need it. Lord, I pray for the fathers and the grandfathers here today that we would be the men that our family deserves and that you desire. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.